Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome back to episode 43. This is Living Your Bliss, Allie's Recalibration. I'm so excited to be here with Allie to share with you all of her journey over the past three months, as well as how listeners can help to find their bliss factor. Hey guys, sounds like kind of a heavy load, but I'm excited to take you on the journey. So Allie, I know listeners are really interested to hear about your journey over the past couple months. Um, So what's inspired it and why are you doing all virtual work at this point? Well, (laughs) I knew these would be loaded questions, Becky. (laughs) Uh, Let's see, big picture. Well, what we have done, I guess, um, is in March, uh, we traveled around the country We went from Houston to Austin to El Paso, Texas, Scottsdale, Arizona, Flagstaff, Arizona, where we stayed a couple weeks and hiked along and went to the Grand Canyon. We drove back in towards Texas, passing through Albuquerque and Lubbock. Then we went to Milwaukee, Wisconsin for my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary, saw a bunch of family, and Stella got to meet family and friends. And we spent a lot of time in April and May in Driftwood, Texas, as we were waiting for our home to be ready in Austin. So my little journey um, of, I believe it was 57 days, but who's counting, (laughs) of homelessness, all started with the concept of, uh, are we living our bliss? And that was kind of a conversation that Brady and I started about two and a half years ago, before I was pregnant with Stella. One of our friends actually had passed away in a motor vehicle accident. And I, I had, I guess what I would best describe as an anxiety attack. I've, I've never had a panic attack like episode or anxiety attack, but I was in the shower and I just was trembling. And, um, I, I was having these really strong emotional pulls kind of from the core of my being of, am I living my bliss? That's just kind of what was resonating in my, in my, in my headspace, if you will. And am I being my true authentic self? And the reality was, I think as far as Manslow's hierarchy of needs, and you may need to, to interrupt me at any time, Becky, feel free because this is, you know, here I go. Um, but as far as Manslow's hierarchy of needs of self-actualization and my progress in my career, I think that that was happening and rocking and rolling and I had grown a practice from, you know, my very first client into a client load of over 2,300. I was doing weekly television segments on large uh, newscasts. I was getting wide reach with my social media platforms. I was starting to conceptualize a book. But at the end of the day, that was leaving me disjointed and working, you know, 16-hour days, feeling exhausted, doing the, what I call American ritual of wind me up, over caffeinate, shut me down, whether it be, I was eating very clean, that that I definitely had going for me, but I wasn't cooking as much as I wanted to. So I was relying on Brady to do a lot of the cooking, or we were using Instacart maybe more than I wanted to be going to the farmer's market. 
Um, so there was a lot of disconnects and I, I just felt really shooken for my core. And one of the biggest trends within this was getting back to my roots and my ethos. And I was starting to feel like maybe Houston wasn't the place that I could do that. Got it. And so let's talk about what drove this more recent shift then. Um, I know you had a staff of seven, um, weekly TV segments. So what was really the driving force and, and the, the final uh, straw that broke the camel's back, if you will? Stella played a huge role in that. I think that when I look in when I look into Stella's eyes, it's a reflection of a, a portion of myself as whatever that sounds like to people, but it, it really is true. Fill in all the blank of all of the uh, cheesy, you know, mom type phrases and such. And she wants me to be a better version of myself, but it's so very true. And when we started conceptualizing this, we knew we had a three-year lease on my current space, which we had worked up from a 90-square-foot office all the way to a 1,700-square-foot office space with space for cooking class and three, uh, four practitioner rooms and huge supplement dispensary. And so the business started creating this churn of this wheel that became this ball and chain that I had to take with me everywhere I went. And it overhung on me this pressure to continue to drive and drive and drive and drive and create and push and expand. And all of the revenue that I was creating as a business owner was having to infiltrate through this multifaceted funnel of expenses <laughs> and overhead. And again, leaving me dissociated from, from who I really am and who I need to be. So our, our biggest uh, decision was how we can shave overhead. And in what areas can we go back to our roots? And uh, we really decided that we wanted to be somewhere more where nature was a passive exposure, where we could be struck by the awe of nature passively on a daily basis. I had a lot of that when I lived outside of Seattle, Washington. We would drive on our way to working the farmer's market and the days that we could see Mount Rainier popping out of the clouds were super epic because they didn't happen often with the overcast. And it was just that literally like jaw-dropping, awestruck appreciation of nature. And the other things I had going there was my connection with the food system, which is a huge element of not just my brand and what I do for business, but what I believe in and, and a big part of my spiritual connection to nature and earth and, and why I'm so passionate about food as medicine. So those were all things that were pretty strong non-negotiables. And with that being said, I knew even if I could find a way to discover that in Houston, that I would have the stress and the pressure of the previously developed beast, if you will, <laughs> of my business that it would be very difficult to downscale and stay because I am a perfectionist and I am someone that has a hard time saying no. And I like to drive and, and push forward and keep growing and building and expanding. So I knew I had to eradicate. Got it. So taking yourself out of the equation, quite literally. Um, yes. Well, and, and in some yeah, way, I'm yeah. still there yeah, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, but but right, I had to physi physically uh, separate myself, I think, to allow for this reset. And, and it's still in process, but the nature, the passive nature is happening every day, which is pretty incredible. And I think having a big influence on my blood pressure. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. We're looking out the window right now at some beautiful, beautiful trees here in Austin. Yes. Um, so I'm a little jealous back in Houston, but it's okay. Um, so sounds like a lot of thought really went into this and that it wasn't just a spur of the moment decision. Certainly there was a By lot, no means. <laughs> no. <laughs> there was a lot at play. Um, 
Let's talk about, let's define for listeners, what does finding your bliss, the title of this episode, or living your bliss mean to you? So I think the first thing to understand and identify is who, who am I? (laughs) (laughs) Becky and I have been playing with that with her new married name and what am I? Who am I? Uh, So who am I? What is my authentic self? So living with authenticity and purpose, what to me feels the most me? And again, a lot of today's episode is a little bit um, not tangible or esoteric, if you will, but I think that these are a lot of the underlying mechanisms that drive stress and imbalance in the body when we're feeling incongruencies. So identifying what your authentic self is, what are the, the character strengths that you would want to portray and what type of environment is going to evoke that and support that and promote that. So identifying your authentic self. And then I think that a big thing within that is identifying areas of incongruencies. So where in your life do you feel like there's a juxtaposition or you're not able to be your authentic self? And most definitely in most scenarios, it's going to be very difficult to find a hundred percent. You know, you may be working a job that you feel is mundane and you do your nine to five, but that allows you the mental space and freedom to shut it down at five, be present at home, and then be connected for your creative space and energy for whether it's an artistic, um, passion or whether it's spending time with your child or whether it is time cooking or reading or what it is that's going back to that authentic self. So there might be elements But if you lay out and identify the incongruencies, which ones can you adjust? Is it incongruencies in your friendships? That may be one that's also difficult because there's emotional elements, but it's maybe easier to adjust than your job, which has financial repercussions. So repercussions. So, you know, there is identification of incongruencies, which I really recommend as a way of identifying in, in connection, the authentic self. And I think another piece of this that comes after you see some of these incongruencies is allowing separation from self-doubt. So we start to then have the self-negotiation or that internal self-talk of what should I be doing? Is this right? Do you just continue to go with the flow or the wheel that's been churning within your life? Uh, This can happen with a relationship. This can happen when we've been dating the same person for six years and we realize it's just because, just because it got comfortable, you know? And so I think that looking at separation from self-doubt and tying that to the incongruencies and authenticity is a great workshop of, of process. And just to interject, I feel like this is something I hear you talk about with clients all the time. So this is doing it in your own life. Yes, absolutely. Because like I said, it's this, especially with autoimmune disease, I I like to speak that autoimmune disease is a way for the body to be allowing a bell and whistle alarm, be it from a dermatological flare or a Crohn's flare or a uh, multiple sclerosis neurological flare. These are ways of the body saying, I am here, or the soul, I guess, maybe in the body saying, I am here, and and this is not connected. And by no means am I trying to state that as a shame or a judgment influence on people with autoimmune disease. I'm just stating that there is a huge stress connection, and that distress and emotional stress drives the the immune system to go in hyper-reactivity or autoimmune tack or hypo-reactivity shutting down. And there's also a lot of stories of this with cancer. We see this all the time where there's big dynamic loss or emotional disconnection, and that can drive often cancer diagnosis. 
So just to kind of close on the bliss factors real quick, I talked about authenticity of self. I talked about identifying incongruencies, and I think we'll talk about some worksheets and, and how to find that a little bit further and the self-doubt separation. But identifying bliss as a concept, which I maybe have failed to do, is, I believe, found through freedom. It's found through purpose and living your passion. So what is my day-to-day purpose and how can I live my passion? How can I instill that passion into others or share that with my loved ones? And when we have intention and purpose, even in a time of stress during this transition, how do we own that? How do we own that? And and so with diet, for instance, often, and that's where I have to go back to because that's that's my area of specialty, is I'll hear clients stating how hard it is to do an MRT diet or how difficult it is to make some of these changes during a candida cleanse or a specific carbohydrate diet or whatever the restrictions are. And it comes down to that, are we looking to heal ourselves and what do we choose? Or, or when we're pushing for a transition in our life and that means going back to grad school or whatnot, we're staying up late. Not that I recommend that for bliss, but it's a step in a stepping stone towards your bliss factor and it's embodying embracing it. So a mantra um, or I choose this stress ownership of the transition is, is very helpful. Yeah, totally. Understanding choice versus feeling like you're being dragged or carried by something and understanding that, hey, this is what I signed up for, even if it comes with a couple of negatives, um, understanding that it is your choice. I think that's super important. Yes. Um, So let's talk about some techniques that you would recommend or some tips for how to live your bliss. How are you doing this? (laughs) And and by no means, (laughs) I am on a process, a bliss process, I guess I should say, right? Uh, I think that I'm making conscious efforts to drive my bliss factor and allow my business and financial uh, focus to take a backseat to my bliss factor. That's really the the big transition. But... um, I'm not sure that I'm like all all blissful yet. <laughs> That's the, the end all be all. <laughs> Out of the process. Yes, yes, exactly. So I think that one big one is eliminating pending actions. And this is something I'm constantly working to do. And this ties me back to my business more so than being a new mom. Uh, pending actions as far as one of the worst habits that I have is I will read emails and then mark them as unread. So I will read an email from a client on my phone and then, you know, understand that I can't do anything about what their request is. It might be a supplement dosage question. It might be a question about medication interaction. It might be an update or a lab. And I don't have the time to address it. I need to download something. I need to access their chart note, or I need to do other steps to actually complete the task of responding to their email. So reading and then marking as unread only creates this pending big bubble or weight over my shoulders of what I need to be doing. So I really recommend eradicating pending activities as much as possible. Remove the pending monster (laughs) from the weight of your head. And so ways to do this is to execute the three-second rule. I believe that I heard this from, oh, boogers, what, Gretchen Rubin? Gretchen Rubin. Yeah. I think it's more like a one-minute rule, but okay. you're superhuman, it's oh, three seconds Oh, maybe it's 30 seconds. Maybe it's 30 seconds. I think yes. maybe 30 seconds. Somewhere in the middle. <laughs> Thank you, Becky. <laughs> I know. I kind of thought of that, too. I was like, doing the dishes. Yeah. <laughs> like, can't do that in three seconds. No. Uh, Not even you. I believe it was 30 seconds or maybe even three minutes, but I know there's a three in there. I apologize, Gretchen. I didn't re-listen to your episode, but I remember when I heard that... And, and her, her 
is her podcast called The Happiness Project? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's got a couple of books out as well, Happier at Home. And um, there's another one with a blue cover that I can't picture right now. But The Happiness Project, yeah. I read in a book club, and it was it was really great. That, and that was my biggest take-home literally from the book was, let's call it the three-minute rule, where if something takes more than three minutes, you just knock it out. So it, we should tell all of our partners this, that like to leave their clothes next to the hamper or on the floor, <laughs> then putting it in the basket, right? That's never bothered me, you can tell. Uh, but what types of things take less than three minutes that you can just knock out? Putting the dishes out of the dishwasher, you know, loading the dishwasher, these little things that help to reduce our external chaos or our external environment to simplify and find that zen space. And again, those remove pending to do. So you're just knocking a list out. The other way to remove the pending actions, I think, is to not partially do things and to schedule blocks into your day of when you can completely execute in presence of mind and allow yourself that space. So what I'm really working to do, and, and Becky and I have really, I think we've rocked Asana. Asana is a, what is it, Dave? It's a project management software um, <laughs> where you can create tasks and due dates and outline them on your calendar. Um, and kind of work with backwards planning, looking at, okay, when do we need to launch our, for example, ketosis virtual yes. um, class? So looking at the due date and then working backwards and setting up mini tasks and making it small and measurable and into these little bite-sized pieces that you could execute in a one-hour block versus you know, pulling an all-nighter and, yes. and working on it for three days and or having trying to push it out. daunting tasks that yeah. you just move the date forward and don't honor. So so I think that as best as we're able to do that, compartmentalize our to-dos, and, and even if they're home tasks, again, compartmentalize our to-dos, put together our grocery list, put together the time we're going to shop, execute, and then you knock it out, finding a rhythm and removing the pending because the pending often not only just leads to that heaviness of pressure on you of what needs to be done, but it also leads to guilt and shame of what we are not doing. And that creates weight over our bliss factor. Totally get that. Um, <laughs> are you feeling any pending right now? I'm with feeling your a lot of pending. All coming. Uh, <laughs> Becky's ready to book her registered dietitian exam. So that's, I think, probably pretty heavy. It's a little bit pending, if we'll call it that. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, you can't, you know, until it's booked, then you can kind of execute once it's scheduled, mm -hmm. but we're, here we are. We're almost there, and I'm feeling very inspired by this episode. I'm headed to Mexico City for the weekend, actually, so I think I'll be living my bliss there. Good, good. So I think the next thing that you can practice as you lead up, because maybe you can't do the shooting on yourself or the... And, and that's another thing I think I've mentioned, shame and guilt... A big thing that I talk about with clients a lot is don't should all over yourself. Um, and it's it's that process of I should be doing this, I should be doing this. You know, it goes back to Yoda, be or do not try. Oh, I'm not good with my quotes today, guys. I'm sorry. Something. Do not try. Be. Maybe Becky can look it up while I go on to mantras. <laughs> Yoda says it. I haven't really watched it, but my husband's a nerd. Okay. Anyway, so um, when we are going into that mind space, we're talking about not shooting on ourselves, and that's that rumination, self doubt, guilt, shame, and that puts these heavy dampening clouds over our uh, bliss factor. So another thing we want to do. Did you find it? Yes. Do or do not. There is no try. 
There we go. <laughs> so when we're going into our bliss factor mode, another thing we want to do is work with the power of intention and thought process. So this, I use the term mantra. You can use whatever phrase you want, but uh, a mantra is something that we say with intention and purpose. And I often refer to this to patients as like, just like you would increase the muscle in the bicep of your arm by making curls or lifting weights. You need to use your mental space and harness that wild stallion of the brain that wants to be doubting and shaming and racing thoughts, just like during meditation, and insert these intentional thought processes so that when you need these tools in times of struggle or times of distress, they come organic and fluid and passive. And so when we're talking about mantras, it's this really big, if you don't use it, you lose it philosophy. And we want this positivity to flow very passively. So some examples of incorporation of a mantra, we, we mentioned, I think a little bit back was, I choose this stress. So when we're feeling heaviness, and this is maybe not the most peaceful one, but I'll go into a diet one as well. So if we do have a lot of moving pieces, it's, I choose this stress. I honor my body and the intensity that it is able to be resilient to, and I know that there are lighter times in the future. Or I honor this struggle as a time for growth. Just like a plant, I am rooting deep and expanding, and up I will come and bloom into more peace or serenity or something of that liking. So incorporating visualization can be done. We can also incorporate breath with the mantra. So a mantra could be, I inhale nourishment, I exhale anxiety, or I exhale cravings. It could be as simple as that. I inhale serenity, I exhale racing thoughts. Um, so it can be things that are dichotomous to opposing concepts, something that you want to embody and something you want to release. How about any mantras, Becky? I know you know it's coming. <laughs> that resonate with you or that you've thought of with clients or that we've kind of heard this week that have, do you think could be helpful tools? Um, I really like the inhale, exhale ones because that gets me in tune with my breath. And I think maybe if you've listened to our one prior episode that we recorded, um, I talked about being a yoga teacher. So that's something that speaks to me is tying the mantra with breath. So something like, I inhale self-love and I exhale self-doubt just really speaks to me because it also ties in that action of breath. Yes, I think that's fantastic. And, you know, when we're talking about breath, I like to incorporate also essential oils. Uh, this tends to create just another stimulant to help to make that message a little bit stronger or deeper. So whether we are sitting in front of a diffuser and we have eucalyptus and sandalwood or we have lavender and what we're doing with our senses is we're creating a multi-stimulatory driver of the verbal cue if we're able to say it out loud, the auditory cue of hearing it. Uh, we can also incorporate during this the sensory cue of smell and then light if there's a candle burning. So we get all of these sensory drivers. So when we need that, when we're at work, when we're in the grind zone, if we're able to maybe apply a little bit of a lavender roller on our wrists or our temples, that same mental space will find us again. And that breath pattern, like Becky mentioned, will kind of harness us with a lot of strength to bring down those physiological symptoms of, of anxiety. So I, I think that tying with breath is, is important. 
And uh, Mark David actually goes into this. Uh, he is one of my heroes as far as some of his writing works, and he does a lot of intuitive eating. And he has a book called uh, Nutritional Wisdom, and he talks about the nutrient O2 and the oxygen diet. And it makes sense because when we look at our respiratory rate, we run our RMR when we're looking at how many calories someone burns. We also talk about your basal metabolic rate. But when we're looking at actual tracking of your output, we actually will track with an oxygen mask, your oxygen and carbon dioxide, and that actually speaks more to your caloric burn. All calories require oxygen to be burned. And so if we're low in oxygen, if we're not breathing, we're actually burning less calories or burning calories less efficiently than those that are. And that's actually one of the arguments of exercise is that we take in, we're, we're more aerobic. And so that actually utilizes more oxygen. And that is a big driver of what's burning calories just as much or more so potentially than the muscle activity. So cool. I think yes. in yoga speak, and I'll get off my yoga soapbox in That's a minute, okay. but um, we call that creating an inner fire. So it's kind of the same. same right. Concept, it's that heat, right? calor, yeah. you know, calor in the Latin term means, means heat and burn. And so it's, it's this parasympathetic dynamic. And, and we do see that breathing can actually reduce the vagus nerve activity. And so that vagus nerve is the big one that goes from the brain to the colon. And that's what can also create IBS-like reactivity, that over-excitatory peristalsis or pumping, or the slow pumping from stress. People that deal with severe constipation often have uh, gastroparesis or slowed peristalsis or pumping due to that vagus nerve suppression. So when we get stressed, we either bind, bind, bind like a rubber band ball, or we go into excitatory overload. And if you can see me, I'm pumping my fingers really quick. Uh, and so the breath, finding that breath is a great way. Like I said, I think of that literally visually, and I'm a big visual person. It helps me to connect with my body. I visually think of a heavy saddle. I also used to ride horses, but a heavy saddle being placed on a wild stallion. And it's this, like, that's what the breath can do for the body's response from stress. Such an anchor. So yes. Cool. Yeah, for sure. All right, so we touched on it a little bit in the beginning, but let's connect listeners a little bit more to the role of stress on the body and some of the other physiological manifestations that stress can actually have. Sure. So we have, you know, the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system. That fight or flight response in the body is what's going to drive us in more of a state of imbalance. So when we've spoken to in our HPA axis episode or adrenal fatigue, we're talking about how that access, that HPA access and fight or flight mechanism can throw the body into chronic illness on a daily basis. Physiologically, if the body's in fight or flight, it is not in rest and digest. So most of the time in a rest state, a restful state, our primarily blood flow is going to be in our central area of our body. So it's going to be by our vital organs. It's going to be by our intestines. When we are under stress, that blood flow shunts out to our appendages, and that actually lowers our ability to absorb nutrients because with less blood flow through the intestines, we're not absorbing nutrients on as rapid of a rate. And another component that plays a role with nutrition and absorption of nutrients is enzymes. Our enzymes are reduced to about a quarter of the amount that they would be in a restful, relaxed state. So starting with even our saliva, which is why some people get really severe dry mouth <laughs> when they're stressed. 
So when you're stressed, you can get dry mouth, but that actually, even if isn't experienced on a uh, palatable level or, or an influence of swallowing, it actually will play a role with your digestion all the way by what the pancreas produces and your intestinal lining. And that means that food sits heavier in the belly and we can pass it through the intestines with that pul pulsing or peristalsis, but we're not absorbing the nutrients as much. So that can leave us overfed yet malnourished at mealtime. So digestion and absorption is a huge thing that's influenced. Also, our blood sugar is influenced. We tend to get a dump of blood sugar from the liver. The liver produces sugar as a response of that fight or flight mode. And then that's what can drive that all fun backwards form of stress, which is desserts, craving for sugar, which is gonna boomerang back when your blood sugar drops too low. So your blood sugar spikes from stress and then it drops and then your liver has to compensate to make more sugar and it creates this vicious cycle or that drop has you with signals saying, I need to go to that vending machine or I need to have a snack or I need to have some, some carbs to pick me up. So blood sugar irregularities, and actually I see this clinically to be very dynamic. I have seen individuals hemoglobin A1C in a pre-diabetic state that are eating a very low carbohydrate, low glycemic diet, or even ketogenic, and the one thing that's kicking them out, if you look at their epinephrine level or their adrenaline level, that is kicking them out at times of the ketosis because their liver is dumping sugar. And so even physiologically can overdrive the body from how the behavior of intake is. So blood sugar irregularities, digestive uh, concerns, and malabsorption of nutrients. And then I think the big one that I should touch on real briefly is, is the cortisol influence. So cortisol is the primary stress hormone. Cortisol is going to be the one that in excess drives belly fat. It does have some natural anti-inflammatory properties. So when it poops out in the body, the body's more prone towards inflammation and also histamine reactivity. So we'll see more seasonal allergies. That's again, these awesome bells and whistles, love it or leave it, <laughs> of your body saying something's wrong. And I think that's always what happens in the body is it's telling us something is wrong. And bigger picture of all of this is that this is where autoimmune disease can often stem from these stress cascades in the body. So interesting. The body is so smart. And <laughs> all of this is just, you know, kind of adaptive physiology in a way to try to protect yourself. Right. I am here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Listen to me. Yes, exactly. Um, so let's get into, Ali, why you think um, or why you feel that finding your bliss leads to freedom from all of these conditions and, and roles of stress in the body. So the goal is that, that finding your bliss is a way to find your bee. And, and what I mean by that is at the end of the night, when you have to put your head on your pillow and you're in your silent space, or maybe when you're driving your car or taking a hot shower and you have to dig deep into yourself, who you were in your past, who you are current, who you want to be, where do you fall? Where do you fall on that metric? And do you long for someone you were five years ago or a scenario or a circumstance that you had five years ago? Do you desire for something different in the future? And how is that, again, incongruent with where you are today? So I really believe that when you find your bliss and identify your B, you can create physiological freedom from a lot of these symptoms of distress because that... We may have heard, and I believe very strongly, that we are our own worst enemy in a mental space. 
and even as harsh as a partner, a friend, a breakup, a mean boss or coworker is to us, we're always going to either hear those negative words like a cassette tape that reels and plays louder and louder and louder in our silent space. We will ruminate, we will create self-doubt, and then our internal self will translate it to be meaner. <laughs> Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. <laughs> and, and it's this thing of like using every little thing that happens to turn it into your story. It's like rolling a snowball. Um, and every I love little that. thing that happens, you add it to this story, whether it's I'm not enough or I am this, you know, whatever it is, I'm not this enough. I think everybody has something about that. And sure. you use every little scenario and every little thing that someone says or everything that happens to you as evidence that you're not that thing. So let's drop that. Right. So <laughs> I think I think really internally myself, I was having an awesome, like I said, that career push of having, I, I would some days have a TV segment at 8 a.m. I would come to the office. I would lead a team meeting. I would be up till 2 a.m. working on my team meeting notes. The day prior, after seven patients, I'd be running to Whole Foods to get my groceries for my TV segment and prepping it. And so I would have my segment, my team meeting, then I'd have five clients, and then sometimes I would do a lecture. And it was great. Everyone was really into what I was doing and getting awesome feedback and human connection and inspiring people and really seeing good clinical outcomes. So that became such a addiction for myself because it was in a way a drug. You know, it felt good to see that I was manifesting change in others and that I was healing others and that they wanted more of that. So how could I provide more? How could I saturate? How could I expand? But in that process, the silent space <laughs> of finding my bee was, why aren't you doing that for yourself? Why aren't you practicing self-care? Why are you sleeping less than six hours a night? How are you talking to people every day about how stress manifests in their body while you're dealing with heart palpitations and clammy cold hands and overperforming and then shutting down or needing to rely on a sleep aid or drinking red wine or whatever those coping external mechanisms are to deal with superhuman levels. Uh, and I think that that was the charge. Again, identifying those incongruencies in that silent space that create and drive the freedom factor back towards, towards the bliss train. I love it. Um, so let's talk about your concept of um, how the so-called void can be filled. Let's go a little deeper into, I've heard you say this a lot with clients, um, filling the void with either the red wine, like you just mentioned, or dessert, or yes. sex, whatever it is, filling yeah. the void. Yes. So filling the void is, is, is a concept of, you know, we, we do our daily, whatever that is, routine, go to work, watch the kids, whatever it is. And we transition home or, or transition in whatever way, and, and we're feeling empty during that transition. That's often actually neurochemically due to a drop of serotonin and dopamine. Serotonin and dopamine are both metabolized on a higher demand during high stress. So when we are stressed, we metabolize those neurochemicals at a more rapid rate, and that leads us home feeling like, okay, I was a good girl, now what do I get? What do I get? And so that's when we go into the pantry and we look for whatever it is at that time 
of our food journey. <laughs> so whether it's a gluten-free blue corn tortilla chip, or whether it's a chicharrone pork groin, or whether it is uh, salty, crunchy nuts, or whether it is a glass of wine, or whether it is ice cream, fill in the blank. But that's that void that we're looking to physiologically fill that emptiness, that emptiness of space. And that can happen often in that transition time. It can also happen in the silent space that I just recently spoke to. So I think the treating the root cause, which I aspire to do with all of my clients and myself, is identifying, again, those incongruencies and how we can make shifts in our patterns, shifts in our external environment and our lifestyle so that we don't feel as depleted by the end of the day. How can we insert proactively behaviors to promote, prevent that, that dropping. And one thing nutritionally that we can do is work with amino acid therapies. So if we look at our neurohormones and, and maybe today's notes, we can put a link to just our neurotransmitter test uh, or, or the whole neuroadrenal and you can comment or email me if you want just access to the neurotransmitter test because that looks at our serotonin, our GABA, our norepinephrine, epinephrine, dopamine, and glutamate. And these are the, the brain chemicals that are either excitatory or inhibitory, so either relaxing or excitatory, adrenaline, stress responding. And getting a layout of where these are falling in the brain and being able to adjust those to work for us. One supplement that tends to be a very helpful tool for this is Calm and Clear, which we are really excited to have just released, I think in the last month. And this is going to have a blend of different herbs, nervines and adaptogens. So nervines are calmative, adaptogens help us to adapt to stress depleting, uh, low energy levels. And then there is L-theanine in there and B vitamins. The B vitamins help as cofactors for our neurotransmitters. The L-theanine works as a modulator for the brain which helps us to produce those that are low and reduce those that are in excess. So it kind of brings all of those neurochemicals back into balance. So the calm and clear, you can incorporate throughout the day, but you could also take maybe heavier, like two of those at that 4 p.m. to work with that transitional place. Got it. So cool how we're tying this into what we're actually practicing. Yes, yes. And I mean, on the, on the void, the other thing I think of is how you can fill yourself without food. So there's other lifestyle elements. Some things I recommend to clients are lighting a candle. And I, I know I just recommended that with the mantra thing, but I really feel that seeing warm light is very nostalgic and filling. That's one of the things that I think works very well. I have been told by many clients that they don't like lighting candles that are pumpkin spice or vanilla because <laughs> it makes them dry food cravings, which that makes sense. So maybe like smoky fire or that sandalwood or lavender or something mm -hmm. uh, or even something refreshing, but lighting a candle and then thinking of other self-care things, taking a bath, foam rolling. And I think it's more though about what I spoke to earlier with that void of the mental space. What about exercise? Yes, good. So exercise can be a really fantastic tool. Um, one of my phrases that I often say is that exercise is one of the most underutilized antidepressants and food is the most overabused anti-anxieties. So if we're feeling that constant low, and especially if we look at our, 
our neurotransmitters and we're not getting that um, any surge of epinephrine and we're kind of flatlining. We may need some surge if we have cortisol <laughs> for the adrenals to squeeze out those dried poor adrenals if we're in full-on adrenal fatigue, then we want to do gentle movement therapy. <laughs> and that could be walking, that could be yoga, that could be foam rolling, that could be really gentle movement, circadian gentle movement with a cadence, not circadian, excuse me, with a cadence. Uh, but exercise can also, for those that have a pretty balanced neurotransmitter expression, be a good tool for output and to get that adrenaline surge. And that's what a lot of us seek and, and that can be something that can definitely drive at the void, especially if it's something that we have fun and enjoy doing, like a Zumba class or a bar method, and we find camaraderie and connection, and that helps us to dig deeper into that mental connection. So something like yoga or spin, where there's a really good instructor that can lead you with some cues to get into that introspective space, I think that'd be a great form of exercise too. Awesome. Um, so we're recording this out in Austin. Allie, let's tell listeners what being out here means to you in terms of living your bliss. So I, I think, I mean, the big things, again, that I think we touched on and, and are true is having that passive access to awestruck nature. And this is the decision of where we chose to live out in Austin. And uh, not to speak, again, this like Bloods and Crips, Austin-Houston thing. I, I honor Houston as a great place for growth. And everywhere I am today would not be without Houston. And I think that Houston could have worked very well for my family had I not had such a heavy ball and chain anchor of the business that I built there. But what this means to me is having enough connection to Houston that I can bounce back and forth. And when we chose Austin, we didn't want to live specifically in the urban space, which we had lived in Houston. And uh, that could have been, I guess, a possibility as well as moving out to more like Tomball or something with more nature. But where we live in, in the Austin areas is called the Great Trail Hills. And so... I'm able to experience that awestruck nature. There are waterfalls at the base of my neighborhood and big lush green rolling hills, which are fun to walk up and down with a stroller. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my glutes are gonna be on fleek. Uh, but uh, yes, it, it's, that, it's that passive nature and that separation yet connection to what I built. And it allows this pulse, but it's a less, if I'm thinking of waves or a current or a charge, where they were crashing and hitting at a more rapid rate, we have more of that cadence that I was mentioning. So it's that water, watch, watching the water come up onto the sand versus those peaks of the waves crashing. And not drowning under them. <laughs> true, very true, yes. Uh, so let's talk about professionally then. How um, are you living your bliss in the professional sphere? So I, I think... You know, the big thing is, again, being able to connect with my clients and maintain, I'm still maintaining a full client load, but the biggest thing that I had to come to terms with was dropping the boss role. So when I looked at my non-negotiables and how I identify myself and how I identify success, the things that I identify as success are getting good clinical outcomes, inspiring others with food as medicine philosophies, teaching others about functional integrative medicine, and implementing those tools on a clinical realm. Anything beyond that. <laughs> and then I think that, that expansion is what we do with the podcast, what I, what I will do with future books and, and my current cookbook and things like that. So those platforms all work along those, those goals and my ethos of, of my B. The things that did not fit were 
boss lady. So anything that had to do with HR, anything that had to do with people's paid time off or complaints, I've learned that uh, no matter what, no matter how cool you try to be, there's always going to be some dissatisfaction and that can wear, especially on someone that is a type A pleaser like myself. I wanted to remove myself from the boss role that made me in charge and I still am full owner, but I'm looking to bring in people that want to be partners and self-starters and want to take on their own client pool that I can help as a clinical director more than an immediate boss. I want each individual that works with me um, and directly for me, yes, but works with me as a team player with autonomy. So that was a big release. And then the, the overhead elements, not just the financial stressors, but also the elements that come with that, the drama of a broken copy machine or dealing with our credit card terminal and all of those things. So I'm looking to really simplify those types of processes because those are sole draining activities versus sole filling activities. And so it was, it was identifying those needs. And I think another fear is, is, was the financial element in my family. And I just had to be non-negotiable and say, well, if that means that my lifestyle changes in X, Y, Z ways, these are all things that I'm willing to do for that passive nature exposure and to be able to raise Stella in a place that I'm present, not just physically, but mentally, because that was a huge element. I would have my four hour block with her and I'd be ruminating and racing about different things going on during the day and the business management elements that I just, again, the soul sucking stuff that was also dissociating me from my daughter. So the, the non-negotiables were stronger than any financial stress or emotional stress or stress of providing for others. So Ali, I'm finding this very inspiring um, <laughs> for where I'm at in my life. I think I'm going to do some goal and vision work maybe while we're in Mexico uh, with a margarita. In awesome. Hand. <laughs> uh, Sounds good. Let's talk about how listeners can tie this all together and utilize the tools that we talked about and apply it to their own lives. Yes. So one of the best ways to identify those incongruencies that I keep speaking on is using a life inventory checklist. I will try to upload to the show notes a PDF of this. I believe I can. And what did Yoda say? There is no try? What was yes. that? <laughs> we'll do it. Yes. <laughs> so there you go. Thank you. Do or do not. There is no try. So I will upload an, a life inventory checklist. I welcome you all to use this. It's it's really great. And basically you assign always, some, always sometimes, and never to different things. So it's like, I pay my bills on time. I take time to spend time with friends. I read a book. I spend time in nature. I, you know, so there's all these different things and you assign always, sometimes, and never. And you do that true to how you're living your life today. And then you take time and you look at it and you workshop, which of those sometimes do you wish were nevers? Which of those always is do you wish were sometimes? And which of those nevers do you wish were always is? And so, you know, how do you then, you, then you really can see in a clear cut, objective manner how incongruencies are, are sprouting within yourself. And you can even add other phrases that maybe I didn't come up with. And I think that's a really great way to start to identify where you need to take that ax and start chiseling your bliss path. Uh, and within that bliss path is now, what is the vision of that? So what is the vision board? What are your non-negotiables? Three non-negotiables to what bliss means to you. And mine were connecting with my daughter, spending more intimate time with uh, food production in my household. So that meant both farmer's market and cooking. I, my 
direct goal, my SMART goal, <laughs> is cooking three entrees a week uh, and then playing connected meal planning with my husband. And then my, my third one, which I've spoke to a good amount too, is that passive exposure to awe-striking stri nature. So those are my three non-negotiables. And then how do we make those a reality? So creating that vision and those non-negotiables and incorporating mantras along the way. I think that's really important to hold it down and keep it together in the process, especially when you identify the incongruencies that can get heavier before it gets lighter because you can often feel like you're failing at your life. You know, holy cow, I was not in introspective enough this whole last how many years of what I'm doing on a daily, daily basis. And this isn't me. This isn't the who I want to be being. So, And I think coming up from a place of non-judgment with that too is really, really important. Like this is how it has been, but it's not how it has to be in yes, the future. Yes, exactly. And, and that's where a mantra is really great. Yes. <laughs> I acknowledge where I am today. I'm taking proactive measures to get to my bliss state or something like that. So Becky, any recommendations or tools you have for listeners? I mentioned the neurotransmitter testing and the Calm and Clear supplement. Anything else that listeners might want to use to help support their bliss factor in their wellness journey? Yeah, so the one that actually comes to mind, um, just as you were talking, Allie, about the meal planning and connection to food, um, I think for a lot of listeners, that is a big piece of why they listen to this podcast or why they see us as clients is they're seeking to improve their diet or they're already eating a great diet and they're committed to changing their food or, or being with their food. Um, I think one of the tools that we could use is the Optimal Eating Virtual Class. We actually just redid some of the handouts. They're a lot prettier than they all used of, to be. All, all of, of you're right, the all handouts. Of, all of. I did that. I should know. Um, <laughs> so we, we just redid all of those handouts and recipes. Uh, this class comes with instructional videos that walk you through, uh, what is it, seven or eight different recipes, yes. as well as some worksheets, actually, that um, talk about the influence of stress and digestion, the HPA axis, delve a little bit deeper there and kind of give you a visual representation of those and also help you to identify where in your life um, and in your body things are out of balance. So there's also going to be things like a hunger satiety scale. And then like Becky said, beyond the seven videos of me doing a recipe demo in my kitchen, I also have 12 videos that are instructive. So those go into elements of what is optimal eating, best carbohydrate choices, really the foundations of how we identify a naturally nourished optimal eating and balance. So if you're shooting on yourself about your diet, or if you've listened to this podcast or other episodes, or you're trying to read a wellness book, that's a tool that I would love to share with you. And for listeners, we'll put out a coupon code and it will be podcast 30. And we will have this running for 30% off through the end of July. So uh, you can put that in your cart when you check out for the Optimal Eating Virtual Class. Put in Podcast 30 and you'll get 30% off and access to all of that classroom, all of the downloads forever. And if we update them again, you'll get access to those. So thank you so much for listening in. I hope that this inspires you to be mindful of your true being and identifying ways that you can drive your path to your bliss factor. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.